Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Welcome everyone. Um, I am really thrilled to um, be here today. Um, this is kind of a very special lunchtime talk uh, for the gallery because um, you're not hearing from me, you're not hearing from a curator, but actually today you're going to be hearing from an artist. Um, for the last two weeks, longer, maybe two and a half weeks, uh, Rob and Stacey um, and I and other members of the AXA team have been on the road. We have been um, on the road with our touring exhibition, Rob and Stacey Ray of Light, and many of you have picked up a little catalogue. So you'll see that um, this touring exhibition uh, is going to 14 regional venues in South Australia over the next two years. And many of you may remember the works that are in, uh, in the catalogue, in Robin's show, um, as they were first uh, presented, and they were actually those works were created for uh, the 2016 Adelaide Biennial Lisa Slade's Magic Object. So they were all exhibited in um, Gallery 7 in the atrium, you may remember. Um, the format of this touring exhibition, um, which um, the gallery has partnered with the Regional Galleries Association of South Australia and Country Arts SA to bring um, the uh, Robin Stacey Ray of Light to 14 venues in South Australia. So um, the format for it is um, those eight uh, works that um, made up um, Robin's presentation in Magic Object are touring. And the other really exciting part of the exhibition is we have a, like a touring, I call it a live public program, where Robin has uh, traversed South Australia to set up live camera obscuras in regional towns in South Australia. So, so far we've had a live camera obscura in Mount Gambier, one in Bordertown. Uh, later this year we'll have one in Harndorf, uh, at the Handorf Academy, and uh, for the last two weeks, uh, Robin and I have been uh, setting up camera obscuras in Port Lincoln, Port Perry, and Goolwa, and those will be um, open when the exhibitions reach those um, galleries in those towns um, later, no, actually uh, next year in 2020. So we thought we would use this opportunity to have Robin in the state, and um, and we used the opportunity really well because we installed Robin's work um, here in Gallery 6 and she's going to talk about um, this camera obscura photograph uh, today for you. And so this work is in the Art Gallery's collection uh, and it's not part of the, um, the Robin Stacey Ray of Light tour. So we're kind of doubly, doubly excited to have Robin here to, um, to not only... Um, talk about this work today, but all the work she's been doing in South Australia um, on the tour. So I'm going to introduce Robin, and then she will uh, give you um, an insight into the camera obscura process and talk uh, about this work today. Thank you. Um, thanks, Alice, and thanks everyone for coming along. And I have to say the road trip's been a lot of fun, and I've seen a lot of South Australia and it is a unique landscape. So it's been really a privilege to be able to do the road trip and travel around your state. And I'd like to thank Country Arts and the Regional Art Galleries for facilitating the whole thing and working with Alice and the gallery to make it possible. 
And um, Susan um, Armitage, who um, donated this work to the gallery, who couldn't be here today, I'd just like to thank her for her generous donation to the gallery. So Alice has told me you're all experts in the camera obscura and I didn't really need to tell you a lot about it, but just in case there's one or two, um, I'll just say very briefly, the camera obscura is the oldest optical device uh, in the world. It does date back to 300 BC. Uh, it's also the simplest optical device in the world. There is absolutely zero technology involved in a camera obscura. And even though we say camera obscura, it's actually camera, which is Latin for room, and obscura, which means dark. So it's just basically a dark room, and then there's a small hole to the outside world, and the light comes through the hole, and then wallpapers the room with the view outside. So whatever is outside the room will appear in the room, but upside down and in reverse. So the camera obscura is really an experience. You have to be in the room to experience it. Every day is different. Every time you're in the room is a different experience. Some people call it uh, proto-photography, but it's not, I think it is an experience rather than a photograph. So because the with the 19th century and the advances in chemistry, that's when you can fix an image, you can transport it around the world, hang it on a wall, you, and it doesn't change. It's a moment out of time. Whereas the camera obscura is an unfolding of time. So the way to get it back to be an image on the wall is that I'm in the room with a camera on a tripod, and then I then photograph the room, the contents of the room, and the view that appears in the room. So I started in 2013 when I was invited to be artist in residence at the Sofitel Hotel in Melbourne. And the deal there is you have to live in the hotel and you make work about the hotel. And the Sofitel has these fantastic views over Melbourne. And since then, a lot of people go, gee, how do you get that gig? That's pretty good. And I, I, ha I have to say the Sofitel were very generous and they do it every year. They invite someone to the hotel to do this and everyone has a different take on it. Um, so the, um, when I was there, that made me think about... So what I was interested in there is bringing the view. You get these great vistas over Melbourne, and as you know, Melbourne's very flat, so you can see right to the mountain range. Um, and then, uh, but it made me think about the hotel room as a space and what that means. So the hotel room is a transient space. When you arrive in the hotel room, there's no sense that anyone's been there before you or you'd probably check out. So it is a neutral, anonymous space that you inhabit for however long you've booked into the hotel room. And there's a lot of 19th century literature about the hotel room as a site of epiphany or change because you're out of your comfort zone, you have nothing familiar around you, and you're either there for a number of different reasons. So and it's, it's a site for work, 
People go there to party. People go there to celebrate events in their life. People can, so it's, there isn't a particular reason for being there. So they're quite um, potent sites in a way. And then I started to think as well as about the camera obscura, which makes us think about how we are in the world, how we see the world, where do we end, where does the world begin? The place that you're doing it in is also very significant in it. So then I started to look at industrial sites and I looked at office spaces, which again are transient. You might have a desk, you can maybe pin up a few photos to make it more personal. Um, I looked at, I went to institutional spaces, I actually did a jail, I did an aerodrome, and all these spaces have very different uh, meanings and you have different feelings about them and you use them in different ways. Then when I came to do the Magic Object Show for Lisa Slade in 2016, I was looking for significant sites in Adelaide, things that would be meaningful to people in Adelaide. And uh, so I've done the Samri and a couple of buildings on North Terrace and we actually had a live camera obscura on North Terrace uh, for people to go and sit in and experience it. And also I, we did Hans Heysen's studio at the Cedars, which is the, which I'm sure you all know, it's the oldest artist studio extant in Australia today. And we didn't have great weather, so we ended up spending two weeks waiting for the light to get the really good camera obscura image of Hans Heysen's studio. So that made me think about artist studios as a site and how they're very different to any other space. And so the series I did after the biennial uh, was called Dark Wonder, and it all revolved around artist studios or architects' uh, sites. And so I did Brett Whiteley's, the studio, it, well, it's a house that Wendy still lives in today, but it was his studio where he painted all the very famous Lavender Bay series. Um, I did the Boyd's place at Bundanon. Um, I did uh, Martin Sharp's house, Wirian, in Sydney. So a number of different artists' spaces. And one of the other, in thinking about architects, and this is what led me to Rose Seidler House. So just... Um, and in a lot of ways, this is the most uh, subtle, I guess, and hardest to see camera obscura um, because, you know, if you're looking at one where the, you know, high-rise buildings are hanging upside down from the roof, it's pretty clear what's going on. Whereas this is the outside terrace and the mural was a mural that Harry Seidler designed and it's actually outside the house. But people who don't know the house assume that that's painted on the back wall of the room and it's not the outside. So the, the way you can tell it's exterior and um, Alice will show you. So this is the mural and the deck outside and you can see the wooden floor and when you look up on the roof, you can see the floor of the deck outside. 
and you can tell that it's also external because it runs over the orange curtain um, inside the house. So, yeah, so the, this is the murals on, where's, can we go back to the mural photo? So the mural's out here, my camera obscura, the hole is here, the murals come into the room, oh, the murals, sorry, I'm here, the murals come into the room and covers the back wall and then runs round the side where these curtains are. So we had to... Um, living museums who now own the... Uh, like, look after Rose Seidler House, and you can visit. I think every Sunday people are allowed to visit. Uh, they went, you've got two days uh, to do it, and at the end of two days it's all over. And um, so when you see the this photo... So we had to have black out all of this glass, like the whole house practically is glass. And then beside the fireplace where you see those blue curtains, we blacked out behind that because there's no door or wall um, blocking off that space. So it took us a day and a half to black it out. And I realised when you do them, they're either morning rooms or afternoon rooms. So I knew from the beginning it was an afternoon room. And it's like we've got one afternoon. And we're either going to get the photo or we're going to leave with nothing. And the girl who was looking after the house, she kept coming up and she'd go, how are you going? And it's like, oh, still more to go. And we were really... And the next day we went, could we come really early because we're not going to be able to black everything out in time. So which she very generously met us there early at the building. So it is the seminal modernist building in Australia. So Harry Seidler, the family left Vienna when the Nazis annexed Austria. And he and his brother went to England and he studied building. And then they went to Canada. And he subsequently went to Harvard. And then he worked for Walter Gropius. He worked with uh, Nehemiah, the famous Brazilian architect. And um, who else? Oh, some other very, i sorry, can't remember all the modernist architects. So his mother, to get him to Australia, commissioned him to build their house. So the house is built for Rose and Max Seidler, and, but it's called Rose Seidler House because Rose was most involved in the commissioning and she oversaw the build. So it's named after her. And I have to say, Penelope Seidler bought one of these images, so I felt I got a tick of approval <laughs> when Penelope bought one. And when... Um, so it was built between 1948 and 1950. Uh, and it... Right for, I mean, Harry Seidler has all, all... Throughout his life, he was a controversial architect and uh, a lot of people were either for or against him. But this building, right from the beginning, was very controversial in Sydney. And uh, he, he talks about how it was built post-war uh, Sydney, so, um, and building materials were very scarce. And he'd have to go around to building sites and go, could I get six bricks? 
and then he'd go to another site and go, could I get eight bricks? And uh, so it took, that's why it took two years to actually build the house. I actually had to literally kind of scavenge and beg for building materials to do it. Then when it was completed, it was really sensational. So he chose the site um, and people said to... It's in Karingai. It overlooks the Karingai National Chase, which is a, a, a large area of native bush. And he... Uh, being, it's a very, even though he didn't study with Le Corbusier, it's very Le Corbusier in that it's a concrete slab, very elegant steel struts supporting the building. Um, and then he um, he believed in the, the building had to be very geometric in opposition to, like, so it's the order of the building in comparison with the disorder of the natural world. So all the glass along the side uh, looks out over the bush. And you can see in the camera obscura, there's just one little bit of... Um, you can see the native bush in that between the blue curtains and the mural outside. And um, the other thing is it's, there's a Joseph Albers... Uh, image on the wall and what I couldn't believe is it it just bisected that image perfectly so where it came in on the wall was just fantastic um, so when he arrived he'd been to Herman Miller in New York when he left and he bought all the furniture so he arrived with the furniture for the house and he made his mother sell all her Viennese furniture and the only thing she refused to sell, he even bought the flatware, so he arrived with the knives and forks, and, and she refused to sell that and her tea set. So, and then she made him design a tramobile for her tea set to be displayed on. Um, so she was really over the build. Um, and then it's actually unusual in that uh, he designed it, he bought, they bought quite a large plot of land, and it was to be a family compound. So there are three houses. And the house doesn't face the street at all, which was very unusual at the time. Um, and so, as I said, it was really controversial when it was built. And apparently on the weekend, people used to make the drive. It, at that time, it was considered a long way out of town. And Rosa's friends had been going, don't go, don't go. Like, we'll never see you again. It's so far out of town. And, um, but people used to drive there. And they used to be four or five deep at the glass window looking into the house. So the sidlers used to go away every weekend to get away from the crowds of people who would come to view the house. And there weren't, if you go there today, like it's a, you know, a well-developed suburb, but none of those houses were there before. It was pretty much all bush, it was market gardens. And it is surprising, like in one way you go, well, it could have turned into a totally modernist suburb, but the other houses didn't emulate Harry's vision. And uh, so this still is quite a unique building um, in the suburb and in Sydney and it is on the list like Falling Water in America, 
uh, this Rose Seidler House is kind of, if you're a modernist architectural fan or student, this is one of the homes that you would have on your bucket list to see in your lifetime. Um, that's probably all I can say about it. Please join me in thanking Rob and Stacey.